0: Welcome to Empowering Women Through Sports. I am your host, Allison Ferguson. The benefit of sports are many. Sports builds confidence through hard work and achievement. Sports teach us how to work together as a team, how to respond to adversity, and how sports help us prepare for success. This episode is about succeeding against the odds and persevering through extremely challenging times. Crystal Robinson is a tremendous athlete. She is a multiple award-winning, record-breaking, Hall of Fame professional WNBA basketball player. She is considered the best player to ever come out of Oklahoma. Crystal took her basketball IQ and translated it into coaching for the WNBA and also transforming college and high school programs as well. She was the assistant coach to the Seattle Storm when they won the WNBA championship in 2018. Crystal is also an educator and passionate public speaker on topics such as LGBTQ, bullying, racism, and mental health. Crystal Robinson has written a new book called Finding Myself. It's a memoir of her life. Through Crystal's journey, she has been able to draw courage from adversity, overcome major challenges in her life to achieve a high level in her sport and career, and she is a role model and leader for girls in sports. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you for having me, Allison. I'm excited to be here. Well, I want to get into all of your sports and your journey from your childhood in Oklahoma to where you are today. I think a good place to start is where it all began. Where did you grow up and
1: how did you get into basketball? I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, about a population of 400, called Stringtown, Oklahoma. Um, Both my parents played basketball. They were uh, college basketball players. Neither one of them graduated college, but both of them played college basketball. And just grew up loving it as a kid and playing it with my my guy cousins.
0: So you were playing basketball young. I think I read somewhere where you, in third grade, you were on the sixth grade team.
1: Yes, and I was averaging 30 points a game, too. But I literally have been almost as tall since the fourth of grade. Like, I was towering over everyone. So <laughs> sports just gave me a great place to feel a belonging, you know. And when you're really good at something, people like you. But fitting in sometimes is different. I was really tall and awkward. And I was just thankful that I was good at basketball. So, you know, people wasn't calling me names. How tall are you? I am 5'11". Then by the fourth grade, I was five, eight. I was a beanpole. Like I could stand in the shadow of a, of a, of a baby tree. I was really, really skinny, but I was really tall and I was abnormally coordinated at that time too.
0: Well, you played boys varsity baseball in high school and you played second base and that position requires agility.
1: Yes, uh, I did. I, was, I loved baseball. Um, it does require a lot of agility, but I think a lot of other sports, I also played tennis in college. They actually, the footwork of those sports helped me a lot in some of the discipline areas in basketball. So, uh, you know, there's always an age old debate about kids playing multiple sports, but usually, multiple sports help you across the board with coordination and, and really things that, that really, really matter.
0: Right. And sometimes playing a variety of sports like that, you don't take them all so seriously. You can have more fun.
1: Yeah, you definitely can have more fun. And I think that, you know, at a younger age, it's about teaching kids the real, the real things about sports, like what you, your introduction, teamwork, what you get out of sports. I think that that foundation, if you lay that foundation early, then the other things take care of itself whenever you uh, when you get older, like uh, when I when I say teamwork, I'm talking about at a young age, you have to start teaching kids. I think everybody wants kids to feel one kind of way. But as you go through sports, there's a pecking order. There's going to be players that's going to get certain shots. There's going to be players that's not like you have to teach your kids how to or I would say support how your kids relate and act in their athletic relationships because and I say that because as a coach and a teacher, I've literally coached from third grade to to the pros. Most of the time, it's the parents that have more of a problem than the kid. And if the kids go home and listen to their parents complain about what's going on or why they're not playing, and if their parents are not coming to practice, they don't always know why their kid's not playing. Um, so that's that's why I say that. It can, it can be parents can either really aid kids in their ability to be team people or really hurt it. And and like you said, it carries over into life. When you get into a job or you're working for a business or an organization, you have a pecking order and you have a job to do. So you have to learn how to fit into that early and still be able to excel and accept your, I'm going to use the word shine, accept your, you know, all of your credibility and your praises, uh, amongst the team. That's not always able to do when the person next to you is getting more. So
0: right. Sometimes that can be either threatening or create jealousy.
1: Yes. And that to me is where parents and coaches come in. That that's to me is where the whole life ain't fair comes in. That to me is as a parent, I really can tell how serious my child is about that sport. Do you want to play and are you willing to do the things it takes to play? But most parents just want their kid to be happy. So they help them make excuses. You know, for me, when your kid comes home and complains, I'm going to ask from a coach's standpoint, well, what are you doing in practices? Are you practicing hard? Are you doing everything you're supposed to do? Are you late? Are you? I, I start making them look at things to, to make them understand. Is this really, really what you want to do or is it another sport that you really like? So I just think there's a lot of dialogue around that for kids.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, everyone has to work together to be successful in working toward a yes. common goal. And there is both trust and sharing. You were many times the go-to player. How does that trust and sharing play in as a player?
1: Well, I think really good leaders really understand that you're not going anywhere without everybody else. Like I can't, as a basketball player, I'm not beating anybody alone my the way i took it and i'll just tell you how i was in college in the pros um in college i uh if we was going to win a game by 30, I would do everything I needed to win. And then I, would, I wouldn't i would say I would coast. I would just let my teammates have their shine. I would let them have their opportunities to have 25-point games and get their their name. And, uh, to me, finding the, the way to lead your team is where it all boils down to. So when I had to score 65 points to win, nobody was saying Crystal was a ball hog. They just knew Crystal was doing everything in our power to keep everybody from feeling bad in the locker room. You know, different leaders take different stances. In New York, we had a very vocal leader and Teresa Weatherspoon is a hall of famer. So I led by example. I, I learned a lot from her. I never made a fuss. If I got yelled at, I took it on the chin and I just worked extremely hard and I led by example. And I nurtured the younger players coming in and just tried to teach them how to be professionals and how to make it easier to work within the team.
0: I read in like the Harvard Business Review that great leaders are confident, connected committed and courageous?
1: Well, I, I I do think that that is definitely the truth. Uh, great leaders are that, but great leaders are also empathetic and caring. Uh, if you really want someone to follow you, show them that you care about, and then you can pretty much get them to follow you and, and be open to the things that you're trying to teach them. But, um, just from being a coach it's, you can't just go into a new situation and start ordering people around i think the first thing you have to do is earn people's respect and then the leading will take care of itself and, and especially if the people that you're leading know that you'll get in the trenches with them or you have been exactly where they've been
0: and uh respect not only for your own teammates but how about for your opponents
1: absolutely uh you know in sports there's always the whole trash talking factor um, you know, that edge that everybody looks at and, you know, you, you, especially if you watch men's sports, I don't think LeBron James ever stops talking like on the court, but it's an edge and it ain't, some people are offended by it. Some people are going to kind of jaw back at him, but it's, it's an edge. I think that, that you acquire at that point.
0: Just thinking about you on the boys baseball team again, did you ever get, Oh, you're good for a girl. Well, did you ever get that. No, you were too tall. <laughs>
1: they didn't no, do. I was good. When I went in baseball at high school, no one could say that to me because when I went with my baseball team, we might play a doubleheader or a tripleheader and I'd be the only person that get a hit every game. Like I was, I outperformed the boys, led the team in slugging percentage and all those things. So they couldn't make girl comments because I would if they made a girl comment, I know, then it would go from, well, you can't even be a girl. Are you, maybe you're an animal. You're not even a girl. You can't be me. Yeah. let's, Let's throw down. Yeah. So anyway, I I really never had that with guys, honestly, until I got into college. You know, guys want to play you one-on-one or pros, you go to the rec, to just get some reps up. So
0: that's great. Well, I learned from your memoir, the incredible challenges you faced at home and all kinds of life lessons. And were sports
1: a release for you? Sports was definitely a release for me. I, I had all this anger and Pin up energy that, uh, I released, uh, every time I stepped on the court, I took it out on the person that I was playing against and and not in a bad way. Like, and I'm still this way to this day. If I'm going through something, I want to go and exercise. I need to put myself through as much sheer physical pain as possible. Like I'm going to exercise really, really, really hard. And that's what it was with basketball. I just went and played extremely hard. And when the game was over, I, those those feelings would be dissipated because I would just use all of that energy that I had against my opponent. Like So um, I found a productive way to challenge that energy. And everybody doesn't have that. Uh, you know, you read the book and some of the things that I went through. I, I just had channels that I, I channeled them through. And sports was was definitely a big one.
0: In Crystal's memoir, Finding Myself, she talks about her struggles growing up poor, having two alcoholic parents, and feeling responsible for her siblings. She endured sexual abuse, struggled with finding her sexual identity, and depression. How do you get through all of this adversity? Crystal focused on her sports, worked her ass off in basketball and schoolwork, and was the first in her family to graduate and get a college degree. Crystal was also the first African-American woman to be inducted into the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. In college, you played for Southeastern Oklahoma State University and basically put them on the map for women's
1: basketball. But uh, Yeah, I actually went to Louisiana Tech. Yeah, I went to Louisiana Tech and then I came back home after the first quarter and uh... Southeast Oakland, everywhere I went, the athletic director and the coach was there. I don't care if I went to a restaurant, I went to stores. It just seemed like they were following me around and they kept trying to get me to visit. Them. Literally, I went to one of their basketball games, seven people at the game. Seven. They had, they had won three games in two years. When I left after my first year there, you had to be at the game two hours before the game if you wanted to get in because they got closed every night by the uh, fire chiefs. They locked the doors every night
0: because so many people wanted to come in and watch the game.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: that must have felt good. Did that put a lot of pressure on you?
1: Uh, No, it was never pressure on me at basketball. Like I don't, I never felt like basketball was pressure till money became involved. It was just fun. I had my friends and family there that got to come and watch me play, and so it it wasn't pressure. That that ain't what I would say. It was more excitement. You know, they had the opportunity to. And and not just basketball. I broke a lot of barriers. At that time in Oklahoma is the Bible belt and it's predominantly white. And you know, I was in a lot of white homes and that never would have saw black people. Um to this, I'm the only black female ever inducted into the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. So, you know, more so than basketball and accomplished I've bridged some gaps, I feel like, with uh who I am and uh and, and sports. Just you know, it opens doors and teaches things and and gives lessons to people that that might not be open to it until they see this person dribbling a ball or they they find a way to look up to you and then when a dialogue happens and you actually then you find out you might like that person to have more in common than you really think
0: that's awesome yeah. Um, The confidence that you drew from your sports, was was it derived from the sports or was it when you overcame challenges in life that gave you the confidence that then translated to the court?
1: Well, honestly, to tell you the truth, the challenges in my life, me being successful was just a great facade. Like if I go out and achieve all these things and people looking at all these shiny objects, I'm MVP of this, I'm MVP of that. Nobody's asking questions or Nobody notices the sadness in you. I think people that go through sadness and depression get really good at putting things up for people to pay attention to so they don't pay attention to the things that really bother you.
0: Crystal broke barriers in her predominantly white Bible Belt community. She was a star player on the boys' high school baseball team. She was the best basketball player to ever come out of Oklahoma. She was a walk on to her college tennis team and played number one doubles and number two singles. Even still, she grappled with her sexual identity. The issues at home weighed heavily on her, and she struggled with depression. She even contemplated suicide. Crystal poured herself into her sports, and after a quarter at Louisiana Tech University, which is in the NCAA, she chose to transfer to Southeastern Oklahoma State University, which is in the NAIA the smaller college sports association. She says she received a lot of flack over that decision.
1: I could have went to any college in the country and I chose to go to an NAIA school. And it's so so funny. That's how my life has been. Like, I don't take the road traveled by a lot. And very few people understand me. They don't understand me because I'm purpose-driven. Like now, I've taken a year off basketball. Everybody thinks, oh my gosh, you're not in basketball, uh, Basketball is what I did. It's not who I am. I love it. It's given me so much. But uh, I, I think that's what people tend to forget and, and sometimes just don't see.
0: Most people hear about the NCAA, right? Division one and all these other big schools. And they had the March Madness, it, you know, it shined a very bright light on the uh, NCAA and its blatant disregard for Title IX. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And remember, Title IX is the civil rights law passed in 1972. It prohibits sex based discrimination in any school or other education program that receives federal money. Do you have an inside scoop on this debacle? I mean, how has the NCAA, the governing body of college sports, been able to pretty much avoid the Title IX rules for nearly
1: 50 years? Well, they haven't been avoiding the rules. Um, Just I'm telling you, they just really got caught uh, and put on on Front Street. for years, we get we're second best, you know that. Um, they give the guys something, they give us 15,000 times less. It's just how it always has been. It's just really embarrassing when the governing body people want to talk about women's basketball or just women's sports in general. But I'm since I'm a basketball player, we're going to discuss basketball taking off and not getting a platform and not having enough fans. If the governing body views it like that how do you expect it to excel so that was that was just an utter disgrace to me like and you know i i saw uh lots of tweets for people saying hey the nc if you don't care about the women hey we'll buy it sell it to us like y'all are making plenty of money to be treating these women like this so um it was just a blatant drop of the ball for for women all over not just women's basketball but I think the NCAA being the governing body of all women's sports, you know, at the collegiate level, shame on them. And how do you uh, rectify the governing body decides to protest? And I wrote an open letter, Nell Ford, and I think lots of basketball people have and sports people have something to say about that. And I think that you see all these campaigns going on right now in the WNBA and in sports in general or women kind of finally getting fed up with it. And, and then I can't talk about that without saying this. It's hard for me. You know, we, we keep trying to market to, and we keep saying men don't support and men don't support. If you go to any NHL game, any NBA game, there's plenty of women in those, those uh, facilities or those places. I don't understand why if we really want to close the gap, those women are the are the key to me they already like basketball what's wrong with you buying a WNBA ticket even if you don't want to go to the game buy the ticket give it to a school when it comes down to it we have to stop giving the lip service of women supporting women and actually do it you know just like you know the WNBA has really done a I want to say a great job of supporting they were we were very active in the elections uh The WNBA has been supporting all kind of women's rights uh, and and different things. And it's just time that we start to, who spends more money in the world? Women. If we want to get the man's attention, okay, let's all join together. And then our dollars become very, very important. We're speaking their language, which is money. And then we can make some change. Until then, if we all fractured and splintered, it's hard to do.
0: Well, what do you think about this? So we need more. Viewers in WNBA. We also need that would draw more advertisers, which would actually get us more money f- for pay. Uh, how about lowering the hoop height?
1: How it ain't they- the advertisers. They have the WNBA has plenty of advertising dollars. The WNBA gets that money. Now it's the single teams that need to be able to put butts in seats. If you understand what I'm saying. Now. I, I don't really like that idea, but at this point, I'm all for trying, whatever. Like, but I just think that the skill and the sport of basketball, uh, dunking, that men's game is a show game. If you watch that game, I've watched Russell Westbrook take four dribbles and put the ball under his arm and walk six steps and then start dribbling to go. I mean, that game is built for entertainment and show. Women's basketball is a pure version of the game. Hoop heads that like basketball you want to see some pretty plays, you can see basketball work. You watch women's basketball. But evolution, we got high school girls that can dunk now, multiple. College girls, like we're getting there. And it's just like the man who ran the four-minute mile. Nobody knew anybody could run a four-minute mile until he did it. And then once he did it, people started doing it all the time. Now we have girls dunking in games we got high school girls dunking. It's going it's just a matter of evolution I think that it's going to be a part of our game even at a regular size hoop.
0: Well, you know, Lisa Leslie, the first one to dunk was in 2002. That's 20 years ago and since then what I read only seven women have dunked and I just think like what you're 5'11, you'd be dunking and you'd be playing off the boards and we'd have a bunch of alley-oops and I mean it and then what about kids? I mean, if you lower it for the kids, they don't always have to shoot from their chest and it seems like it would get more kids in if we lowered the hoop for.
1: Yeah. But you, then you have to, the skills that you teach in basketball, you have to kind of revamp those because I've shot a million shots at a goal. That's a certain height. Now it re, I have to revamp my shot to be consistent, to be at a new height. Like that's not something I would really, I put too many hours of work in to really want to go backwards. That's me personally. And I think that most girls, female athletes that play the game, wouldn't want to see the hoop lowered. But hey, if it if it sparked on fans and made people come watch the game, hey, I'm all for it. I think you gotta think outside the box. They've been doing it one way for 25 years and it hadn't worked. So
0: I played basketball in high school. I was the five foot six inch bench warmer and my position was mostly left out. In discussing the height of the hoop, I was thinking about women's sports and how adjustments have been made to accommodate the physiological differences between men and women. For example, there's an 8-inch difference in the women's versus men's volleyball net. The women's net is 7'4 and the men's is 8'. Pro golf, women's tee boxes are farther forward. Tennis, in open tournaments, women play best out of three sets, men play best out of five sets. Full disclosure, I'm out of my league here with Crystal talking about WNBA basketball and lowering the rim as if we're going to go shoot some hoops together. Crystal makes a great point about the years it takes to master skills at the current 10-foot height of the rim. Lowering the hoop height would dramatically change women's basketball. In the end, professional women's basketball needs more spectators, and the dialogue must continue on how to get more fans in the seats. Crystal, what is it like to be a professional athlete?
1: Uh, I think it's, I think most people think that it is um, easy and there's a lot of great perks to come to it. But I don't know if people realize how much work goes into it, like to, to be good at and how much redundant work dribbling over and over layups over and over the things that you have to go through to get to that level. Is boring for the most part. You have to have a certain mindset to actually be able to get to that level. So most people have this grandio, and it is a great thing. A lot of privileges come along with it, but I'm telling you, the sacrifices that pro athletes make is is remarkable. They uh, you don't spend that much time with your family. Your job's based on winning and losing, so you have roller coaster emotions. Like we're not the easiest people to be around by any means. Uh, but it is a great life. I don't think that when you uh, have the ability to play a game for a living, then you're just super blessed.
0: What about travel and your uh, accommodations versus or charter planes? Is it is it fancy? Is it?
1: Uh, in the WNBA, not, not by any means. It's not fancy. We travel with regular people on regular flights and go through the same delays and that everyone else goes through. Uh, there's not any extra leg room for the bigger girls. But it's gotten better. I'd say that uh, there's times in certain organizations, I think, do have the ability to travel uh, on private charter jets, but all of them don't. So the parity is not equal. So I think that until you know the league, everybody really starts turning profits, you'll see that just so it keeps parity. Um, because if New York can fly, get on a jet and fly home after every game and Atlanta can't, that's a major advantage. All right. Well, yeah. speaking
0: of travel, you're fluent in Italian, I hear.
1: See, si, sono poli italiano benissimo. Io vivo in Italia for quattro anni. I lived in Italy for four years. I I won't say I'm great anymore because it's probably been eight years since I've eight to ten years maybe since I've spoken, but I was completely fluent when I left. And I definitely can hop in conversations and I just have to remember words now.
0: That is so cool. In your memoir, you say that life and basketball are correlated. Can you explain this?
1: Uh, I think that they're related in, and I won't just say basketball. I think sports and life is related. It, they're related in the fact that sports can teach you a lot, lot of things about life that they correlate. Uh, like I'll give you an instance, very few things in life or jobs that you work, do you not have to work in a team form? Even if you're a teacher, you have your individual classroom, but you work with a group of teachers. You have to be able to get along with other people. You have to be able to put your ego to the side. You have to be able to coexist with people and you have to be able to cheer other people on. So I think that those are the ways that it correlates to sports. And if I'm in the heat of a game, and to me, the game is the problem in life. I gotta figure out the key to the problem. I'm trying to win this game. So I have to do all these certain things and avoid these mistakes. And then you and that the people trying to stop you from scoring baskets are the obstacles. So just as in a basketball game, there's gonna be five people trying to keep you from scoring in life, there's gonna be obstacles. There's one thing I can tell you in life that is for sure. Eventually there's going to be some problems. That's one thing. So I just think that if you take what you learn from sports, whether it's at a high level or whether it's ethics late into things that can help you in regular life.
0: Brilliant. How did this book come about and what inspired you to get your stories out in the open?
1: Well, um, I didn't sit down and think, hey, I'm about to write a book. I actually went to counseling and started journaling just to uh, get all the feelings that I had. and made me feel bad. I was spending a lot of time with myself in Europe, so. I just started journaling. I ended up with seven journals of stories and different things. And I actually sent them off to one of my friends, uh, Lois Elfman, that uh, writes the Amsterdam News in New York. And she said, that would be really, really a good book if it was organized, Crystal. Then I hired an editor and we started organizing it. And I actually wrote it over 12, 13 years ago. And just now is the time I feel that the world needs it. Uh, I'm just trying to tell people, you know, that uh, everybody has problems. You know, I don't care how rich you are, or how poor you are. Perspective is everything. And uh, they can make you stronger if you allow them to. And I don't know anybody that's, that's just became successful and didn't go through some failure. So learning to embrace it, recognize it and learn from it is, is is a key. And I think that I wrote that book, you know, just to show people, you know, you can be at the height of everything and achieve everything you ever wanted. That doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. That doesn't mean you're not going to go through some things. It's all about how you decide to process them and how you decide to own what you go through. And I, I just told somebody this today. Everything that I go through is mine. My problems, my my ups, my downs, my failures. I can't give anybody control over that because then they essentially control, control my life. Uh, and, and And I'm just proud of the good and the bad. Both of them. Build you in a, in a certain way. And if you look for the good things and the bad, you can find things that keep you from going through those things again.
0: Well, you share your vulnerability with your readers, which is extremely courageous.
1: Um, well, I, I, I think that's where it starts. I think that vulnerability is everything. And, and we talk about being a leader. Uh, there's so many players that I've coached, like I've coached girls who had a brother in prison and he had a mental disorder. I had a brother in have had a brother in prison, had mental disorders. All the obstacles that I've been through is something that I can draw from that, that I can use to help my players or to help other people. Now, if you get caught up in those obstacles and that's where you usually wreck your life, like when you can't get past something or something happens to you and 30 years down the road it's still causing problems in your life. Uh, And I I think that's why I wrote that book, just to show people and to say, hey, I've been I've done it all. I've been around the world and back, but it wasn't easy. If you think it's going to be easy, then you might. I don't know what to tell you. Everything's possible, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy.
0: One of the chapters of your book talks about the struggle inside. Can you share a little bit about this or how how or if your sports helped you through that?
1: Uh, actually, yeah. Struggling. So I think that sports just gives you a belonging when you find people that you relate to and people that accept you. And, and for the most part, when you become a part of a team, you might go through a little acceptance phase, but once you get accepted, you pretty much kind of have friends for life. Like I still talk to interact with, call on all of my teammates, uh, not, not all of them. Some of them I have better relationships with than others. Um, But I think that's what sports does for you. It gives you basically a belonging and a family and, 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 and the courage to be who you are.
0: Without judgment from your teammates.
1: Yeah. Without judgment. Mm -hmm.
0: You're in a war together and you're, you're battling and you're digging deep all the time, hours and hours and working together toward that really does build the
1: community. It really does. And I just I just I know sports is a place where things that don't fit get ostracized fast, like racism. Uh, Those things, sports just don't have a place in sports. And most people in sports, they'll accept a lot about a person. But, you know, just blatantly hurting others or doing things like that. That's something that sports just really not just me. I don't care what your color is. Sports usually ostracizes that pretty fast.
0: It's a very level playing field.
1: Yes, uh-huh. All sports really cares about is your talent. If you're really, really good and you're a competitor, I'm talking about the wins and the losses now. But you, you, you just feel so much with your team. Like I, I had a teammate named Lori Kane. She played at Kansas State. She was about a five, six, five, seven white girl. She coaches uh in, at Kansas State now. I think she never hardly played. She was an extruder. She was a specialty player. She would make seven out of ten from just inside the jump circle at the middle of the court. The only time she played in a game was under 30 seconds, and she was taking the shots that would win the game or making somebody guard her so we could get the shot. She never complained about playing time. She was the best teammate. She cheered the hardest for everybody. She got so much out of that. She had a seven-year career, and I bet you she played 15 minutes in seven years. Never heard her complain once. But sports taught her a lot.
0: Uh, that's amazing. Well, you know, you got five people in the court. You need them all.
1: Yeah. You you definitely need them all. And, and and two, I mean, you in life, I can tell you you might not have more than two friends. On one hand. You need them. You need them. Having somebody to turn to and bounce things off of and you know, to, to kick you back in line when you're not uh is is priceless. And sometimes that's your teammates.
0: Yeah, they're a family for sure. Yeah. I think I've read you've always wanted to be a coach. Was there a coach in your life that had the most influence on you as a player, as a person?
1: All of them. I actually had great coaches. My high school coach was my first big influence. Like he taught me so much. I became a part of his family and so did my college coach. Uh, My college coach wasn't, he won a lot, but he'd he'd be more than happy to tell you if he was still living that he was thankful that I came to play for him. I, I helped his career a lot, but I think that when, you know, we work so well together because he didn't have an ego In instance, he would say, Crystal, what do you think I should do? Even though I was a college player that made us stronger because he didn't he didn't coach with an ego and I didn't play with an ego. Like if he never had to worry about me, I worked the hardest because I was setting an example for everybody else. I didn't complain. I did what he asked me to do. And and to me, that's part of being a leader. Uh, if you want your teammates to the coach to be able to coach, you have to be able to take being coached really hard if he has to coach you hard at some time.
0: Let's talk about mental toughness. When there's a lot of pressure on a certain game, athletes at times can get tight or be tentative or not feel confident on a given day. And as a player, if you had negative thoughts coming into your brain, how do you maintain that emotional courage as a player? How do you instill that in your players at a, as a coach?
1: I think the way that I explain it to players is not me instilling it in them. It's me uh really uh padding their ego. Because uh I think that uh great players understand and, and know that the next shot's always coming. If you want to be good at this game, you have to understand you're going to fail, and you're gonna miss some shots. And I know players that That And it's mental toughness. If you're a shooter and you miss three shots and you stop shooting, you're not very mentally tough. The mental toughness of this game as a coach is hard to teach it. But what you can do is pat it on the back when it shows itself. What you can do is continue to show them what it is so they buy into it so they see how it helps their game. You can build mental toughness but it's not usually not in a good way. Like I can run you to death and make you throw up and make, force you into those mental tough moments. And sometimes in sports, mental toughness is not how hard you can play, it's how fast you pick yourself up from failure. Great athletes that are really highly successful, like LeBron them, they shake failure off. They have a bad game. They're, they're, not, they're not focused on the bad game. They're ready for the next one so they can put the bad game to rest. That's mental toughness to me. So, those are teaching moments to me throughout film sessions. You're constantly working on mental toughness with your players and letting them know exactly what it is so they buy into it for themselves.
0: Fantastic. Well, I thought of you today when I was playing tennis. Tennis is so mental. And there are so many strategy and momentum swings. Does tennis help your basketball IQ and vice versa?
1: I won't say it helps your basketball IQ. What I think tennis helps is your footwork. It helps your mentality, though, the toughness of pulling yourself out of the shitter. Excuse me. I don't know if I can say that on this podcast. We're pulling yourself out of the out of the depths, you know, because one thing about tennis is. You get yourself in binds and you got to create strategies to get yourself out. And you can only do it one play at a time. You can't get too far ahead of yourself. You take it one play at a time. I know in basketball, you say that you take it one play at a time, but it's so many moving parts and so many people, but it's just you and the spotlights on you in tennis. And I think that tennis teaches you problem solving abilities. It, it teaches you how to be patient with yourself. It teaches you so many things that correlate it to, That helped me in basketball. So in tennis, if you get so mad at yourself that you can't play, you're never going to win. So you learn to temper yourself and you learn to be a problem solver first instead of a complainer. Because usually when something bad happens, the first thing you do is complain about it for like at least three days to a week. In tennis, if you do that, you're going to get kicked all over the court. You have to be a problem solver first. So I think that's what I learned the most in tennis. And agree with me if you if you agree with me or not. How do you feel about that?
0: Oh, absolutely. I yeah. think that tennis has so many different facets to it. Uh, you know, you have to know the score so that, you know, if you can go for something or if you can, you need to be on defense or if you need to push here, but hey, you don't want to push. If you're down 540, you got to be solid, yeah. but you can't go balls out because, you know, you got to keep the ball in play so that you can. Set it up for the... And that's
1: life. That's how life is. You get all these opportunities and obstacles. And sometimes you want to go all in on them. Do I temper myself? like That's that's sports. Like That's why I said not just basketball. Sports in general. I don't care if it's soccer or tennis or basketball. Sports are just good for you. I think for kids to learn, it starts to teach you that you're going to have to work with people. There's going to be problems. You're going to have to learn how to solve those problems.
0: That's great. Yeah, for sure. As I understand it too, that you're active with mentoring from youngsters to professional. And what are some ways you're working with the young female athletes?
1: Uh, Oh, I I can honestly tell you lately, once I get in the WNBA and you're coaching, there's lots of rules around how you can interact with, college-age kids or kids that high-level kids that's going to go to the pros. Um, so I have been a teacher from kindergarten to high school. I had a training program for kids, a uh, basketball training program. And, and that, to me, that's what sports is so good for. I mean, kids that come from the same background as me, that relate to me, that see where I've gone, have an ability to to actually have hands-on ability to speak with them and to guide them. It's one thing to watch somebody do it. It's another thing for them to to sit down and be able to tell you the pitfalls so you can don't go around them or you can jump over them. So that's what I think that uh, I do for kids and mentor. I think um, that's an important part of life to me. I, I don't think you we're put here to be takers. I think we're put here to be consumers of information and knowledge that way with that knowledge you can help other people and things are something that we, that we get from all of that. But I think society, we go for things and then we help people second. So I'm just a little in reverse. Now that might leave me poorer than others, but it leaves me very, very fulfilled. And to me, I don't really, I'm not going to say that I, I love nice things just like everyone else, but at some point it's uh, not, we can't take these things with us. I don't have a million pair of Jordans that I'm trying to show off, you know, to my friends just because I can, and they're cool. It's a waste to me. Like that's something that I could be doing for someone else. So.
0: Well, you've just been an awesome mentor and a role model for female athletes from all ages. It's just great. Uh, Do you have any recommendations that you might provide to other female athletes?
1: Um, I think one of the things I think is something that I did really early that unconsciously I don't know is just me evaluating things. I surrounded myself with people I wanted to be like and mentors. So business people. Most of my friends are probably seventy years or older because those are the people who I value. That's where I learn the most from. I have plenty of friends my age, but I spend a lot of time with older people, uh, still acquiring knowledge and. Um, because I don't know it all by any means. And I'm learning every day and uh, growing and adjusting. Um, you know what your life path is and what you want for yourself. Find mentors. Surround yourself with people that can help you get there. And that doesn't mean find people and asking for things. Make yourself valuable to them enough to learn. So you have the ability to learn. Because the thing that I've learned the most, I think, in life is that I want the knowledge because I can build as much wealth as I want with the knowledge. I don't want people to give me money, give me the knowledge so I can fend for myself and build for myself. That's where the gold is at is in the knowledge. And if you work in the right way and a hard enough way, success will find you. And it, I mean, I don't care if you're digging ditches. I think that something else that I would tell young kids is that uh, don't measure your success by the person next to you. We each have a purpose. And your success might be completely different from mine. Um, So I think we get so caught up in judging ourselves and holding ourselves accountable to other people's standards and levels that sometimes we really miss out on really, what are we here? What do we want?
0: Right. And follow your curiosity.
1: Yeah. Learn about yourself, learn, you know, and, I think we're each put here to give something to this earth. And it's our job to figure out what that purpose is. We just get sidetracked on all this, this the glitzy glowing things. And then, you know, then you have a, a group of people that's just stuck in survival mode. When you're just trying to live and eat and keep your stuff, you really don't have much aptitude for learning or new things. So that would probably be the best advice I could give uh, some young female athletes.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And your book now has been out for a week and how's it going?
1: Uh, it did really well. Um, It got to number one on Amazon pretty fast. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. I'm um, getting ready to do a, a book launch with the New York Liberty, which is where I played at. So that's probably where my biggest fan base is next to Oklahoma. So um got some really cool things going on the horizon but the book's doing really, really well. As uh, soon as kind of New York opens up, and California opens up, I'll start doing some public speaking and some speaking engagements and things like that. But COVID's kind of slowing things down, and then also for book signings and things like that, lots of places are not having outside people in, and that's that's a big thing for you when you're selling a book. You have to be able to go do book signings uh, and. We're just figuring things out and finding ways to get it out there to people. But I really do think it it can help people. Absolutely.
0: It is a gift. Uh, again, your experience that you're sharing with everyone's just a really great lesson for life. Crystal's book is called Finding Myself. It's available on Amazon. And again, Crystal, thank you so much for your time.
1: No, thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: I'm so glad to know you.
1: Well, thank you. It's nice to know you as well. And you take care of yourself. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Crystal says basketball does not define her, but the lessons she's learned from basketball and her other sports helps summarize what she is all about. Crystal is an athlete, a team player, a leader, a mentor, and has combined stories of adversity and achievement into a published memoir. And that is empowering. Music for this podcast is created and produced by Gary Ferguson. Creative consultants Tony Ferguson and Quinn Ferguson. You can find a library of episodes and other information on the web at empoweringwomenthroughsports.com. We're on Instagram too at EWTS Pod. Or find us on your favorite listening platform like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you hear an inspiring episode, share it with your friends and let's grow our community of empowering women through sports. Thanks for listening.